Hey everyone, um, my name is Tanner and I work for an organization called The Traveling Team. And so obviously a team is not just one person, I'm not the only one. Uh, I have two, three teammates here um, and they're sitting over here. And what we do on The Traveling Team is basically we go around the churches and college campuses around the United States to take this message um, that you're about to hear. And, and we, we are just very passionate about it and, and we thank God um, really wants to invite all of his followers, all of his believers to get involved with his mission. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Whenever I was in high school, I was your, your typical high school kid. Um, I, I loved video games. Um, and, and so much so that I just had one goal from like 7th to 11th grade. And that, that goal was to, to finish class, whatever that was, as fast as possible, and get home as fast as possible, and hop on my computer and play video games for like six hours a night, you know? Um, quite a bit. Didn't take weekends off, so if you do the math, that's a full-time job. So I gave my life to video games. Like, I should have been getting paid. I played so many video games. It was, it was ridiculous. And, and for some reason, when I got to my senior year of high school, the summer right before, I began to think about my life a little bit, which doesn't happen often if you're a high school student, but I began to kind of reflect on my life, and I was like, hmm, I don't feel very fulfilled right now. And I began to think that the reason I didn't feel fulfilled was because I was giving everything in my life to video games. And it just wasn't giving anything back. I was giving everything in my life to playing these games, and, and it wasn't giving me any purpose by which to continue the rest of my life with. You know, that, that just does not work when you're outside of high school to play video games that much. And so I was like, I need something else here. I need something to give me purpose. And, and so I began to search, and I made this, like, basically like a mental checklist of things that I thought would give me purpose. That, you know, and so I was in high school as a senior, and I was like, okay, something to give me a purpose for my life, my entire life. I was like, what about good grades? And I was like, not good enough. And I was like, you know, that one's off the list. And I was like, what about sports? I was like, eh, not good enough. Like, I'm not good at that either. And then I was like, what about girls? I was like, I could get a girlfriend. I think that'd give me purpose in life. Still single, so didn't work out, you know? Um, and like, and so like, I was just like, this, this list was not working out for me. I could not figure out what would give me that purpose in life. And then finally, one day I was like, oh my gosh, what about church? What a great idea. I've been going to church since before I was born. And they talk about life purpose and all that stuff at church. And I was like, I think that place could give me some really good purpose in life. But after a few weeks, I realized that that would not work either. Because as I began to attend church and small group and, and get involved and everything like that, I was like, this is not big enough. I, I, I need something bigger. I want something that's going to consume every single part of my life. And I looked at church as a senior, and I was like, that's a two-day-a-week commitment at best. I was like, I'll show up on a Sunday morning. I'll show up on a Wednesday night. Check, check, done. I was like, I need something way bigger than that. And so I was about to, to just keep going down my list and, and searching for other things that could give me that purpose. Until I had a small group leader come up to me one day. His name was Luke, and he looked at me. He said, hey, Tanner, um, I know you're looking for a life purpose. And, um, you know, you're, you're looking for something to give your entire life to. Have you ever considered reading the entire Bible? And I was like, no. Um, like, do people do that? You know, is that a thing? Like, and he's like, yeah. And I was like, news to me. And he goes, did you know the Bible is, is the most printed, bought, gifted, even stolen book in the entire world for all printed history? And I was like, I did not know that. He goes, I think you should read it. 
I think you should read through the entire Bible. And I was like, I don't know. And he was like, no, you should read through the entire Bible and see if that gives you that mission you're looking for. And I was like, all right, I'm not going to let this book stump me, you know? And I was like, I'll, I'll do your read through the Bible on a year plan, and then I'll, after a year I'll be done, and we'll be good to go. And, and, and he, he, so he's like, okay, here. And he handed me a read through the Bible on a year plan. And you, you can read the Bible like three chapters a day, and you'll go through the entire thing in 365 days. And so I was like, all right. And as I begin to go through this plan, day after day, everything in my life started to change. I began to read God's Word. I saw that it was living and it was active, and it, and it gave me a different perspective on life. It, it changed how I wanted to live the rest of my year of high school. It changed um, what I wanted to do when I went to college. It changed my, my friendships were different. My relationship with my family was different. Everything was different because of reading God's Word. Drastically different. And something interesting that I saw during that time reading the Word is, is when I had grown up in church, I, I, I was just thoroughly convinced that 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 God loved us, which is true. So I'm not going to say anything contrary to that. God loves us. But, but I kind of thought that that was like the entire point. Like that, it kind of stops there. Like God loves Tanner and that's it, you know? But as I begin to read the Bible, I begin to see something a little bit different. I saw that God does love us, but all of us. He, he wants all the world, all the nations to come to know him. And one of the best examples of that is, is I was reading through Everybody's favorite psalm one day, Psalm, psalm 4610, right here. Um, psalm 4610 says, be still and know that I am God. You know, we see this everywhere. We see this like on, on nice leather journals and coffee mugs, pictures of nice calm lakes. And we're like, yes, this is it. This is what the Bible is all about. The Bible is all about me and blessing me. And so I loved this verse and I was like, this is awesome. And as I was doing this, this, as I was reading the Bible, I was like, I want to read all of Psalm 46. I want to see the whole thing. I want the context to, to, to bless me even more. This is going to be sweet. And so I go from like verse one to verse two, three, four, five, six, and I get down to verse 10 and I'm shocked because for my entire life, what I thought was Psalm 46, 10, was actually just Psalm 4610a, the first half of the verse. What the entire verse says is, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And so God showed me that, that his word, he, he does love us and does care about us, but it is far bigger than that. He blesses us in order to make him known among all nations, among all peoples. And that's what we're going to look at. This is a theme that we're going to look at this morning. We're going to go Genesis to Revelation throughout the entire Bible, and we're going to be, begin to see this mission that God is on. We're going to see if, if God is on a mission, what does that mean for our lives? How does that affect how we live? Because we will see clearly that, that God is doing something far bigger than us from Genesis Revelation. And so we'll start in Genesis where God starts. God, uh, he creates man. Uh, sorry, he creates earth first and then man. Um, and then man sins, you know, corrupts that relationship. It gets broken. But, but God makes a plan from the very beginning to redeem his people to, to come to know him. And, and then when we get to Genesis chapter 12, we meet a guy named Abram, um, later to be named Abraham. And, and God looks to Abram and he says this. He goes, Abram, leave your country and your people and your father's house and go to the land that I will show you. And so God's like, Abram, I want you to leave everything you know. I want you to leave your your 
your goats and your cows and your dogs and your house and farm and whatever, just go. And if you do, Abram, he, he continues in, in verse 2, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great. Pretty sweet deal. So that, uh, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who curses you, I will curse. And in you all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so God says, Abram, go. But if you do, I'm going to bless your socks off because I'm God and I can do that kind of thing. You know, like I created an entire universe. I can bless you like crazy. This is going to be sweet. And not only you, your entire family. And not only that, I'm going to curse those people who curse you. So this is a pretty sweet deal. But God says, there's one more thing. It's not just about you, Abram. It's so that all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so, so God made this promise to bless Abram that all the nations of the earth will be blessed through him. This is the beginning of God's mission. God is saying, hey, I want to use my people to make myself made known among all the world. And this is in the 12th chapter of the Bible. And so Abram realizes this is a sweet deal, and he's like, okay, I'm on. And then so he leaves, and he goes, and, and God takes this mission, and he pushes it forward to Abram's son, Isaac. God says to Isaac, I'll multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven, and in your descendants all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Okay, two people, the same family. And then Jacob, Isaac's son. And in you and your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And so we see God, God puts this promise forward. He puts this mission forward into three people in the same family. He starts with Abram, then he goes to Isaac and Jacob. And honestly, though, we're kind of like, how is this important? Like, these, these, this is in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. It's like super old. These guys are super dead. But like... How does this apply to my life? Like, how can we walk away from the day realizing that Genesis changes our life? These, these verses are important because God starts his mission with Abram, and he's going to push it all the way through the, throughout the entire Bible. And so we're going to look next at, at a few um, well-known verses and a well-known uh, Old Testament stories and see how God uses all these historical events to push his mission forward to make his name known. And, and one of the most well-known uh, stories in all of the Old Testament, all the Bible, is the story of David and Goliath. You know, people have made movies about this, like football movies, Facing Your Giants, and, and you know, just you, football matches are always about this, and, and all these different ideas. There's always this, this scenario of, like, facing your giants, like standing up to the people who are bullying you, standing up to the mean people, and, and not slaying them like David did, but just standing up to them, you know? And, and we kind of use it and apply it to our lives, and we make it all about us. But, but David does something interesting. Because although we, we fixate this story on David often, when we read what David says, that's not the point. David, right before he slays Goliath, he, he looks at Goliath. Let me remind you, David is 12 years old at this point. He says, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hand and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. He's 12 years old. And I will give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. What is David thinking? Like, how, how can somebody who's so young look at a nine-foot-tall giant and be like, okay, just so you know, I'm going to kill you. And not only you, your entire army. And then I'm going to feed you to animals. That's pretty gruesome. Like, that's intense, David. Why, why would David say that? It, it, it refers, it, the reason he says it is because of the last part of this verse. He goes, that all the earth may know there is a God in Israel. David says, I realize that God is on a mission and, and God wants to make himself known. And so that I, I realize that he can use a 12-year-old to kill a giant and make God's na made, name made known everywhere. 
David realized the mission that God was on. And he's like, I'm just going to take a part in it. And God's going to use me as a tool for that. And so God pushed his mission forward with David and Goliath. And as we move chronologically throughout um, the Old Testament, we get to another a psalm, Psalm 67. It says, may God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. We're like, okay, that's sweet. We love that part. Second part, that your way may be known on earth, your saving power among all nations. And so God here in the middle of the Old Testament points out, he says, hey, I do love you and I do want to bless you and, I, and, and, and all these things, but not just that. I want you to join me in my mission so that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, that all the earth may know that there is a God. Among all nations, God would be made known. It's, it's pretty clear just halfway through the Old Testament, God is already looking at us and he's saying, hey, your mission for your life is too small. Our mission for our lives is much too small when compared to God's mission throughout his word. He's making it very clear, and he makes it also clear in the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace. In the book of Daniel, chapter 3, let me set this one up. So we're in ancient Babylon, and there's this terrible guy. His name's Nebuchadnezzar, and he's like, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build a giant idol, a giant golden statue, and there's one rule. Anytime you hear like a, a lyre or a trumpet or, or whatever, Bow down and worship. One rule. Anytime you hear music, bow down and worship this idol. So there's that one rule. It's pretty simple. Like, you might not like it, but it makes sense. Bow down every time you hear music and worship this idol. Except Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're like, you know, we don't do that. Like, we, don't, like, we, we, we only worship our God. We're not going to bow down to this golden statue and just worship that. It doesn't make any sense. Why would we do that? And so Nebuchadnezzar, he responds, and he's like, okay, that's all right. However, you broke the one rule, and so I'm going to throw you into a fiery furnace. Like, pretty easy. Like, you know, that's a simple solution. What do you do when people break rules? You throw them into furnaces. And so he was like, all right, here we go. You broke the rule. We're going to throw you into a furnace. Bind them up. Throw them in. And Nebuchadnezzar is watching these guys from a distance, and he's like, huh, that's interesting. They're, they're just walking around inside the furnace. And there's a fourth guy in there with them. That's odd. He's like, okay. And so he walks to the, fa- the, the opening of the furnace, and and Nebuchadnezzar does something very interesting. Because if it was me or maybe someone in this room, if we saw guys thrown into a furnace and then, you know, just being totally okay, we would like, maybe be like, okay, you guys are gods or like, there's something happening here. Is this a magic trick? Is, like, am I being punked? Like, is this on TV? Like, what is this? Like, and we, 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 we would just bow down and we wouldn't think logically about it. We, we would worship these guys for what they did. But Nebuchadnezzar, this pagan idol-worshiping king, He looks at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and says, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of these guys be cut into pieces and their house be turned into piles of rubble, for no other God can save them this way. And so this this pagan, idol-worshiping king, he looks at the fact that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were saved from the furnace, and he doesn't worship them. He worships their God. God used these three guys to push his mission forward. God used them and saved them through this furnace in order for God to be made known among all the nations. So Nebuchadnezzar made a decree. He's like, any nation or language should have a chance to hear about this God because there's no other God like him. No other God can save this way. So God's mission was pushed forward through these guys. And, and over and over again, throughout all the prophets of the Old Testament, at the end of, at the, end of the Old Testament, this theme is made known. And in the book of Habakkuk, it says, 
For the whole earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then we get to the final book of the Old Testament, Malachi. It says, from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord. Over and over again throughout the Old Testament, God is saying, hey, just so you know, I'm up to something big here. It's not just about Abram. It's not just about Isaac or or David or, or Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. It's about all nations, all the peoples of the earth. I want them to know me and I I love them. When I was a a sophomore in college at the University of Arkansas, I was an RA in the international dorm. And so an RA is a residence assistant. Basically what they do is is they make sure everybody is alive in the dorm for the most part. Like um, they they welcome new people into the dorm. They tell the parents to leave. Like they they ruin all the fun. They like kill all the parties. Nobody really likes them. Um, And that's pretty much what I did. And so... It was great. Um, I, I did that in the international dorm, and so there was people from all over the world in this dorm. It was crazy. Um, lots of weird things that happened. And, and one, of those, one of those things is, is one February night, it was, um, it was snowing outside like around 11 o'clock or so. I was just doing my rounds, which basically means you make sure people are still living. Like, and, and so I walked into the basement, and I looked down the basement hallway, and I was like, okay, not good, because there was smoke coming out of the kitchen. And I was like, this is my nightmare, you know, like, and so I run down to the kitchen, and then I look in, and I see that there's this student from Pakistan cooking, and I was like, hey, Yasser, um, did you realize you were currently standing in a cloud of smoke, and he was like, oh, no, and I was like, he was very oblivious to it, and I was like, okay, well, well, that's a problem, and we need to open the window and, and turn the fan on, even though it's freezing cold outside, we need to get the, the smoke out of here before the alarm goes off, and he's like, okay, I guess that makes, a sen- makes sense, and, and so we did that, and I was like, all right, mission accomplished. Like, disaster averted. We're good to go. And so I, I walk out of the basement, and I start going to another floor, and, and like 30 seconds later, fire alarm goes off. That was my worst nightmare. I was like, oh, no. Because now one of the worst things about that is, is I knew there wasn't a fire because I had seen the room, and, you know, I, I, I knew there wasn't a fire. But as, a, but as an RA, you're not taught to do anything but follow protocol. And so I had to evacuate the entire building. And so five minutes later, there's 150 students standing outside in the snow, like half, half dressed, half asleep, super angry. And these fire trucks come rolling up and they're like, hey, um, where's the fire? Like, what room is it? And we need to put it out. And I was like, you know, there's not a fire. So you guys can like go back to the station. I don't really know how this works. And they're like, it doesn't work that way. And I was like, okay. Um, and, and they're like, we actually, what we need to do is we need to go to the room that the alarm was set off in. And I was like, okay, fine. And so I took two of the guys with me, um, and we started walking down the hall. They were in all of their gear, like the fireman gear, and they had like axes and everything. And I was like, this is intense. Um, and we go down the stairs, and we, and we round the corner into the basement kitchen. And guess what we see? We see a Pakistani student named Yasser still cooking. <laughs> He's still cooking. And so I, I begin to have this like, kind of like internal battle I was like, okay, I need to be responsible and nice about this and forgiving. But, and then on like, the other side, I was like, I want to kill him and like, scream at him. Like, he, like, what is he doing? What is his problem? And I was like, the fireman is standing right here, so I got to do something with him too. You know, like, I just so, like, went in, and I was like, what is happening? And, then, and so finally, I just started screaming. And I was like, Yasser, what is your problem? Like, what are you doing? Like, you set the fire alarm off, and you're still cooking. What could you be thinking right now? 
And Yasser looks up to me. And he says, I'm cooking potato kebabs. <laughs> Would you like to try one? He was cooking potato kebabs. <laughs> and so, you know, the only way to respond to that was I was like, what about you guys? Firemen, you want some? You know, like, and so, like, um, he gave us the ones that weren't, like, charcoal. Um, the rest of them were. And, and, and so Yasser, he did something that's, that's, that's not all that odd. Now, I'm not talking about burning food. That's, not, that's pretty normal, too. But what he did is, is he was very focused on his task at hand. Yasser wanted to make some potato kebabs, like, perfectly burn them to a crisp. And while he was doing that, he was missing a lot of different things that were happening. When he was cooking, he, he didn't realize he was standing in smoke. He didn't realize that I was there telling him to turn the fan on. He didn't realize he set off the fire alarm. He didn't realize I was screaming at him with firemen, with axes and stuff. Like, he was so focused on his task that he missed everything. And we do this all of the time. We, we get really, really, really focused in on one task. Whether that task is, is, is passing a class or whether that task is figuring out where your next job is going to be or, or whether it's a house payment or, or whether it's planning the next vacation or whatever it is, all these things are good things, but they're getting in the way and they're distracting us from the alarm that is sounding. Because there's an alarm sounding over and over and over and over and over again in God's Word. And God's word, God is saying, hey, you can, you can be on your little mission, you, you can get focused on your little task, but I have something far bigger, far greater than that. Join me in my mission. Join me in making me made known among all nations. That is the mission that God is inviting us on all throughout his word. And he's saying, hey, put off all the distractions and join me in what I'm doing. Listen to the alarm. It's a big deal. And when we get to the life of Jesus in the New Testament, we see that Jesus is ringing this alarm, sounding this alarm more than anyone. As he did ministry for about three years on earth, he, he reached out to people who shared the same heritage. He, he reached out to fellow Jews and, and loved on them. But he also reached out to the people in the surrounding nations where he was from. Much of the ministry of Jesus was done to people who did not share his same heritage. The examples are the feeding of the 4,000 Gentiles, definitely not Jewish people. Um, Samaritan at the well, healing of the Canaanite's daughters, the, ter- uh, the centurion servant was healed. Most of the, like a lot of the miracles that he did were, were to reach out to the nations. Jesus had a heart for the nations. He was on that same mission that the Old Testament was talking about. He was making it clear. And in fact, he was so focused on the nations, loved the nations so much that he died for them. After doing three years of ministry, he was put on the cross and he died for, for our sins in order to, 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 to mend that broken relationship that we had with God. And then he rose from the dead to, to show his victory over death. And, and during that time, those 40 days after his death, um, the 40 days as he walked on earth after he rose from the dead, he, he wasn't just focused on doing miracles and things like that. He was focused on pushing his mission forward. This is the Great Commission in Matthew 28. He says, go, into, uh, go therefore and make disciples of all, all nations. You know, this is, this is towards the end of Jesus' time on earth. And it's easy for us to hear this. And, and like, when I, when I first heard this verse, like, maybe, like, in high school and stuff, I kind of thought that it was, like, like, a, like a, just, like, a really good suggestion. Like, you know, Jesus was, like, ascending into heaven, and he was, like, halfway up in the air, and he was, like, oh, yeah, 
don't forget to make disciples of all nations. Tell other people about this. Like, and that's kind of how I pictured it. He was just kind of like, on his way out, he was like, oh yeah, don't forget that. It's kind of important. But the reality is, it's much more important than, than we make it because the Great Commission is not just one verse in Matthew, it's five verses in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and Acts. Five Great Commission statements. And the first one is Matthew 28, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. And in Mark it says, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. In Luke it says, and repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations. In John, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you, Jesus was sent to the nations. And in Acts chapter, eight, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, it says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And Acts 1 8 is, is one of my, my favorite out of these five, is, is because in Acts 1 9, the verse after this, Jesus ascends into heaven. These are his last words. And someone's last words are not wasted words. And so Jesus wanted to make, make sure his disciples understood that he was on a mission. He's like, your one goal as my followers is to take the good news of my life, my death, and my resurrection to all peoples, all nations, to the end of the earth. There's a lot of other things to do as well, but, but that is the main goal. That is the mission. Come on. You know, he, he just kind of kept reminding them because Jesus knows the heart of his disciples and he knows our hearts. He's like, Man, they don't really, we don't really listen the first time. And so he's like, I just want to make sure we get it. I'm going to repeat it five times. Five times he repeated this. And the incredible thing is that his disciples got it. They understood. And, and they began to take the gospel to, to places where Jesus wasn't known. And, and the apostle Paul, he did the same thing. He understood the mission and he wanted to make um, the gospel go where it wasn't. In Acts chapter 15, he says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. And so let me simplify this here. Paul says, I look at the world, and I see two different areas. I see people who know Jesus, or at least have access to know Jesus if they wanted to. Maybe they're not believers, but they live, where place, they live somewhere where they could know Jesus. And then I see people who don't know Jesus, and do not have access to Jesus, and could not if they wanted to. And Paul said, I want to take my life and move it among those people. I want to take my life and move it to the people who do not have access to Jesus without someone like me going to them. And so in, in Paul's day, that was Spain. Paul made it his goal to go to Spain to take the gospel where, where it wasn't. It hadn't reached there yet. And in today's world, we're, we're in the same boat. It's not the same area of the world, but it's the exact same scenario. This is a 1040 window. It runs from 10 degrees above the equator to 40 degrees above the equator. From West Africa all the way through the Middle East and India, out past uh, China and Japan. And inside this box is two-thirds of the world's population. And also 2.9 billion unreached people. And unreached people are the ones who fit this description over here. They're the ones who do not know Jesus and could not know Jesus without someone taking the gospel to them. That means they'd be born, they'd live their entire lives and die without reading the, the Bible in their language, without ever hearing a sermon, without ever hearing a Christian radio program, without ever stepping foot inside of a church, without ever meeting a Christian who would share the gospel with them. Birth to death. Zero access to Jesus. And there's 2.9 billion people 
inside that box who fit that description to a T. If you're a follower of Jesus in here, if, in, if, if you say Jesus is Savior and Jesus is Lord, then this box should devastate us. Because as followers of Jesus, he's made it clear that, that he wants to be made known in all the world. But there's 2.9 billion people who don't even have access to Jesus in this part of the world. And so it, it should mess with us a lot, and we should be like, there's a huge problem here. Why are we not doing anything about it? But, and it might make us feel hopeless. We might think, like, man, there's no way we can, 3 billion people, that is so many people. How, how, can, we, how can we even have an influence in that? But the great thing about this is that this is God's mission and not our mission. Because if it was our mission, we'd probably give up. We, we wouldn't put any more effort towards it. But, but when God makes a promise, he keeps a promise. When God starts a mission, he finishes a mission. And so when God promised the, uh, to Abram in Genesis chapter 12 that all the nations of the earth would come to know him, God plans to keep that promise. And he states so in, in Revelation 7. In the book of Revelation, the apostle John, he has a vision of what uh, heaven will look like. And he says this, And after this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So John looks at heaven and he says, Heaven's not going to be a ton of Americans singing Hillsong songs or, or singing Chris Tomlin. It's going to be way better. Heaven is going to be every single tribe, tongue, and nation worshiping at the throne of Jesus because he is better than anything and worthy to be praised. That is God's mission completed. That is God's promise kept. Because that is what God does. God does not quit. He doesn't stop doing his mission. He completes it. And so when we look at the 1040 window, we shouldn't be hopeless. We shouldn't think, man, there is no way that we can do this. Because God will complete it. God will do it. Because that's what God does. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves now is how does that affect our lives? How does God's mission and the 1040 window affect the way that we live now? Because, like I said earlier, there's a million other things we could do. There's a million other things we could give our lives to from now until the day we die. But there's only one thing that is worthy to give our lives to, and that's God's mission. And he is inviting us into that mission over and over and over and over again throughout his word. And so when people say, what do I do? How do I live this out? What, like, what steps do I take to, to influence this part of the world? Or what steps do I take to live on, on that mission? I say there's two ways. You can go or you can send. You can go or you can send. And, and within these categories, there, there's a, a million ways to live these out. Honestly, as believers, you can, you can use your degree. You can use your job. You can use your personal skills to influence the world with God's mission. And so going, what does going mean? Going means that you can go across the ocean or you can go across the street. Obviously, the 1040 window is a huge place where people do not know Jesus, and so people need to go there. Not everyone will go there, but we definitely need to increase the number of people going there. People need to go across the ocean. 
But then people also need to go across the street to welcome your neighbors who are Americans, but also something bigger than that. Because God says, man, not enough people are going to the 1041 window, so I'm going to go ahead and bring them here. There's nearly a, a million international students in the U.S., and the wide majority of them are from the 1040 window. India, China, Saudi Arabia, Northern Africa, all over. They're here. And what would it be like to, to make a new friend? Everyone can have one more friend. And to influence someone with the gospel who would never, ever, ever hear it if, when they go back home. And so we can go across the ocean and Kevin, I was talking with him earlier, and, and he said, you guys already have a team that's training to go to Southern Africa. And within the next three to four years, um, they want another team doing the same thing, going to another unreached place. And so if you have any interest in that, you don't have to be willing to like, buy your plane ticket tomorrow or like, quit or anything like that. If you have any interest at all in going, talk with Kevin, because there's ways to get involved now um, here in Corona. And so you can go, and then you can also send. And what sending is, is, is it's sending the goers. It means praying for more people to be goers. It means, it means praying that the, the countries that are close to the gospel would be open. It means praying for, for people who are overseas in those areas. It also means giving financially, because it's not free to go overseas. People, people quit their jobs and move their entire lives to another part of the world, and it is not free to do that. It's not that cheap either. And so what would it look like to, to live a little bit more sacrificially and maybe, maybe spend a little bit less on Starbucks or spend a little bit less um, on, on certain types of groceries or whatever it is in order to give a little bit more to people who are giving their lives to go to this part of the world. And so you can, you can pray and you can send. Or you can pray and you can give financially in order to send. And then also you can let other people know about this mission because there's many people who aren't in this room who are believers who don't know about this. And it's the biggest thing that people could give their lives to. It's, it's far better than anything else. So you should do the service of sharing this with them. And when you guys walk out um, of the room late, uh, after the service, um, out in the foyer area, you'll get one of these cards. Um, and this card right here, let me explain it a little bit. The dark side is the mission theme of the Bible. It's a lot of the verses that we looked at. And this is for you guys. Like, I don't, like, because we want you to take this card and actually read through the verses on your own and see it with your own eyes. This is not something the church invented. This is not something that I made up or the traveling team made up. This is something God made up. And so I would love for you guys to take it and see with your own eyes God's word and what he says. And the back side is the commitment, um, commitment card. And this is not something that you're going to send in or, or, or like tell us about or anything like that. This is a, a personal commitment, a personal um, uh, a way to reflect over these things and think about how it affects your life. And, and what the commitment reads is this. I commit myself to obeying Christ and declaring his salvation to the unreached world by serving as either a cross-cultural goer or a sacrificial sender. And so I would love for you guys to grab one of these cards on the way out and take it and reflect over what this means for your life. Because God is on a mission, and that should affect the way that we live drastically. Maybe, maybe it's a little steps at a time in order to get involved, but we should start making changes to our lives now to affect eternity. And so to that end, let me pray as Kevin comes back up. Dear Heavenly Father, um, 
You're so good. Um, you just clearly shown us throughout your word that you're up to something bigger than just us. And what a relief that is, honestly, because you're worthy, God. And, and you're so good and you need to be praised. And so I pray that um, we would all understand this mission in this room, that, that we would preach this idea to ourselves constantly, knowing that we need to get involved in one way or another. God, I pray that you would raise up people to be welcomers here, that they would walk across the street and welcome internationals to the U.S., that, that people would be goers here, that they would, they would go overseas, give their lives long-term to the unreached. God, that people would be prayers, prayer warriors for the unreached. That people would be sinners. They'd give uh, very sacrificially. Lord, that you would raise up an army of people after your mission in this room. God, we thank you so much for all this. In Jesus' name, amen.